Good evening and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. I'm Lauren from Swansea in the United Kingdom and with me, as always, is... It's Brian in Buffalo, New York, USA. Happy, happy June, Lauren. Indeed. Can you believe it's halfway Uh through the year? I know. I've I've only worked a month out of this year. How is the time going so fast? I don't know. Maybe it's the side effect of COVID. It could be. Or it could be the fact that we talk about time from like prehistoric times. So time really has no meaning to us anymore. Possibly. I mean, time is a construct. <laughs> wow. You're getting deep there, Lauren. Yeah. You're going to start like I quoting think. lyrics or something now? Like time it keeps flowing like a river? I might quote some Shakespeare later, see how the mood takes me. But how are you, Lauren? I'm all right. It's been a very sunny day in Swansea. So everybody's been at the beach. My hay fever is in thanking the um, dandelions who are jettisoning their um, seeds everywhere. I blame children for blowing them out like a clock. (laughs) How did you ever do that? Like, what's... Like... So you're saying kids are just little dicks? Well, yes. Case in point, Corey and Theo were over today. They got out in the garden this morning, and Theo managed to get hold of some shears. <laughs> gardening shears. And he decided to trim the borders of the lawn to help me out. Oh, that's nice. He was He's six years old, and he had shears. Yeah. Theo had something that could be used as a weapon yeah and Theo also likes like Freddy Krueger and stuff so yes yes you can imagine the horror yeah that's also he found a tree like our garden turns into a point at one bit and he found a tree that he decided to climb and then he fell into the neighbor's garden how far of a fall yeah no it wasn't a big one he was uh he was more shocked than anything. Um, he's fine. He he was he just thought it was funny that he ended up in the neighbor's garden. But uh, he likes to sit in the tree now. Did you did you like climbing trees when you were younger? Um, no. No, I've never climbed a tree in my life. Like I thought that was I, shit. I did... People only did in movies. Like Theo is a little climber, though he's a little adventurer. So, never I'm, sure had if I him wander, uh, I'm sure if I let him wander that he would find a bomb. <laughs> They're all over the place in your backyard, apparently. Allegedly so. Yeah, you know, i got to get back to this tree climbing thing. Did anybody you know climb trees when you were younger? I don't think so. Exactly. I don't even... Re- I know somebody that had a farm and they had a tree house well then they climbed the tree yeah but it it was kind of like a wendy house in a tree so it wasn't kind of like it was a bit of a it was a bit of a you know posh tree house (laughs) he was glamping up there they had a posh tree house yes oh god Welshies are just bizarre. 
You Americans are bizarre. Oh, us Americans are really bizarre. And, uh... Ooh, Cleo just yawned, like, re- like looked like Leo the Lion from the old MGM movies. Aww. So, I want to tell you about an email we got the other day. Oh, goodness. What have you done now, Brian? That they loved it that you said in Wales your insult to people is dick. <laughs> I was like egging you on trying to get you to give me a good Welsh insult and the only thing you came up with was dick. In work we call people dicks. <laughs> I just love that it's like there's nothing specifically Welsh about that. Like you know in England they'll no. call you a wanker but dick but it's a nice word it's a good word I guess what are the bad words then yes I'm trying to trick you into saying bad words yeah you you often try and trick Theo into saying bad words too oh like Theo Theo needs to be tricked into saying bad words I know what did Theo yell in the street Oh, my gosh. When his brother ran into him accidentally on the bike. Motherfucker. (laughs) So did you watch that movie I told you to watch yet? I haven't had a chance to. Um, I've been working. I haven't got a day. I haven't got a day off now for, like, nearly two weeks. Yeah, that sucks. It'll be all right because I've got two days off. And your city was, like, being, like, rampaged. Oh, God, yeah. that No, I wasn't in work that day. You were at work that day? I wasn't day? there. No, I wasn't, no. It, it, they didn't come down to our work, no. Now, was everybody okay? Did it get really out of hand? It did get out of hand, and a lot of property, like, especially cars. They set a lot of cars on fire, but nobody got hurt. See, that's something you associate with either America or the, the country that wins the World Cup. Not with Swansea. I was scared for you, though, but I wanted wanted to send you a message, but I heard about it, and it was like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night my time. So it would have been like 2 in the morning, um, and I didn't want to, like, reach out to you at 2 in the morning, but I was worried about you. I... No, um, I don't live in the city. I live outside of the city, but I live in the county of Swansea. So um, I was nowhere near them. I was about... Six, six or so miles away from them. So are they like just like trying to be like Americans now and riding, or is this something no, that normally happens? It was um, a vigil for somebody that had passed away that went horribly wrong. Yeah, that's not good. People, stop rioting. I know. You're Welsh. You should be out like sheep herding or something. No, you should all be out looking for the Hoff. Hoff spotting. Hoff spotting. That's what you should be doing. No more riding or we won't let the Hoff go there anymore. Lauren. Yes? You are going to be so happy yes. with tonight's guests. Am I? I you, yeah. Notice I said guests. Yeah, you've been saying that there was two coming on tonight guests yeah is it more than one indeed 
And I every time you say that, I just keep having PSD flashback, PTSD flashbacks of Halloween. Well, you might be closer than you think to that. So we'll go on to another uh, topic for yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about something <laughs> else for now. Are you a fan of the show The Prisoner? Um, no, but I know it was filmed in Wales. You weren't a fan of The Prisoner? I, I, I wasn't even around when The Prisoner first aired. Yeah, there's these things called DVDs and Blu-rays and streaming services. That's no excuse anymore, Lauren. I don't have time. Then I guess I'm there's so no need for me to talk about they're putting out all these prisoner action figures. You can do. Are you going to get any of them signed? I Well, McGoohan's dead, so I don't know who's going to sign them. But I'm getting a Patrick McGoohan doll. But it's not a doll, it's an action figure. Mm. Oh, 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 and other big breaking yeah. news. Huge news. Have you been keeping up to date with um, the greatest uh, source of information in the world, the Weekly World News? I have, yes. Bat Boy's going on tour. He is indeed. Do you think we'll get an audience with him? Well, I'm hoping because, as you know, uh, we have done a few episodes with the editor-in-chief of the greatest uh, source of news in the world, the Weekly World News, Mr. Greg D'Alessandro, and... I am right now currently trying to locate him in his secret underground bunker where they write the Weekly World News to try to get him to come back on the show. And when he does, he might bring Bat Boy. Ooh. Because, you know, Bat Boy, they don't represent Bat Boy, but they're the only ones that Bat Boy trusts enough to, like, give them exclusives. Well, Bat Boy's had a terrible year. Not only was it COVID, but his dad passed away. And he lost his presidential bid. Yeah, that's just a terrible year. But anybody out there who is a fan of the Weekly World News, for the first time in 18 years, they put on a print edition. And it's a very limited edition special issue um, of the greatest covers in Weekly World News history. And it's go to their website, uh, www.weeklyworldnews.com, or find them on Facebook at Weekly World News. And you can order the special limited run um, issue of the Weekly World News in glorious black and white again. And uh, I got my copy. And, you know, Bat Boy uh, encourages you all to get a copy. So I, uh, I thought Bat Boy delivered yours personally. Well, I'm not going to confirm or deny that because, you know, I don't want my place being surrounded by the media. I like to keep a low profile. I don't want TMZ on my front lawn. Do you watch a lot of TMZ in Wales? No. Okay. My brother watches a lot of TMZ. Um, I watch I watch C-SPAN sometimes. Hey, Lauren, how about that board game I sent you based on the story of the Donner Party, which is now a board game? <laughs> that was hilarious. It's not hilarious. There is li- literally people. There's a board game based on the Donner Party mass- well, not massacre, but disaster what was the subtitle of the game um a rowdy game of frontier cannibalism (laughs) for all the family yeah so that's available um from a bookshop yeah from a legitimate bookshop we're not selling that we are selling t-shirts 
and hoodies and sweatshirts and stickers and phone cases and laptop bags and all that fun stuff at our T Public store, which you can find the link to in the description of this episode. And you can check us out on social media or drop us an email. Our email is trans.history.rambling at gmail.com. And we are on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, Lauren. Where are we there? Yeah, so um, Facebook is at History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. Um, Instagram and TikTok are at History Ramblings. And Twitter is TA History. And uh, yeah, reach out to us on social media, drop us an email, tell us what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, um, suggestions for guests coming up. We got some great shows coming up, but you know, we'd love to hear what you want to hear out there. So feel free to drop us a line. In fact, the, the guests we have coming on tonight are because of several emails that we received asking for them to come on. We're asking them to come on together. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, they people wanted to hear both of them again, and I said, you know what? Two birds with one stone. Fuck it. Bring them both on. Mm. And Lauren will love it. You're going to have to tell me now. No. Can I, I'll give you a hint, though. One co-hosts a podcast with my podcast crush. Oh. Oh, Kurt. Oh, I always love Kurt. That's the only He's amazing. Yes, Kurt is back. Um, yeah. Not giving you any other hints, I say, as I twirl my mustache. Oh, my God, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you oh, excited? I know. <laughs> but, uh, oh. you know, they're going to, you know, we're going to have that. It is just... Go ahead. I know who you're talking about, but it's, it's kind of like, it's always lovely to hear from him, but it's kind of like, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? What is he going to say? Well, we are going to talk <laughs> about something spooky and paranormal today, so. And something from your neck of the woods. Uh-huh. And you know, anytime you got something spooky or paranormal or weird, Kurt is the perfect guest. Yes. Because his show, The Strange Sessions, as I like to call it, the greatest podcast in the universe, deals with all kinds of these things. And of course, Neil, well, Neil's also a, Neil's an expert on the strange. <laughs> yes, he is, yes. Um, uh, Theo saw a picture of Neil on my Facebook, and, he, <laughs> and there's a wrestler called Gentleman Jack. Yes. And he asked me, is he Gentleman Jack? I was like, no. <laughs> I love how Theo's mind goes straight. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you say we go to a... a give me a day in history, Lauren. Okay. <clears throat> Today in history. <laughs> is that good enough? Oh, that was very good. Thank you. See, I figure we go so, to this early my- because you know they're going to ramble. Yes. So mine for the 1st of June is from the 1st of June, 1533. Anne Boleyn is crowned Queen of England. And then three years later, she gets executed. But we can talk about that another day. I think we have talked about that. I still want to know three boobs or not. 
Addison gave you an answer, Brian. Yeah, but it wasn't the answer I wanted. <laughs> yeah, but it was the truthful answer. <sighs> I, I suggest the next time you bring it up to her, the next time that we speak to Alison, you, you tell her that wasn't the answer that I wanted. Do you want me to do part of the poem again? No. No? No. We're good. Hazel Court running down the stairs. Knockers are great because they come in pairs. But being an ardent student of history, point of fact, Anne Boleyn had three. No, she did not. No, but it's a great poem, isn't it? I guess not. So you want me to go to my day in history or not? Yeah, let's hear about some fancy rounders. No, I don't have any baseball ones for today. But I'm going to give you the choice. Do you want the the depressing one or the happy one? We'll go with the happy one. Okay. Today in history, June 1st, 1927, the peace bridge between Buffalo, New York, and Canada opened up. Uh, And then they automatically shut it down again because they thought what the hell is this all about no well it's closed down now but that's the bridge i take when i go to canada i was joking but it is closed now because they don't want americans in there they're like no keep your pandemic out eh they also have a pandemic yes there's as bad and sadly um they don't have i think they only had last time i checked like seven percent of their population was vaccinated Whoa, they're having slow. a really hard time getting um, getting the vaccine up in Canada. And, you know, I wish there was something we could do for that. But so any companies out there that, that, you know, have the vaccine, get it to Canada. Our neighbors to the north need this vaccine. They got to get healthy, too. And um, Do you want to know something hilarious? Oh, as funny as Canada not being vaccinated, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> nah, um... Well, it's not hilarious as being ironic, but um, we've had a fourth um, vaccine licensed here in the UK. Really? Johnson & Johnson. I didn't get Johnson & Johnson. I don't want Johnson & Johnson. No, anything that's named after two penises, I don't want. <laughs> I got Pfizer. Pfizer, that's the boner pill company. I know. That's what I got too. My arm was stiff for a week. <laughs> well, since I teased it, you want to hear what my uh, kind of weird one was for day in history? Why not? We're okay. going into a very weird podcast anyway. We might as well start it off. Well, today in history, June 1st, 1660, Mary Dyer was hanged for defying the law banning Quakers from the Massachusetts Bay Colony. That is weird. Isn't that weird? I mean, I think it's weird because they banned the Quakers without even seeing the Quaker Oats box, which has always creeped me out. Even when I was a little kid, like my mother used to have a thing of Quaker Oats in the cupboard, and it scared the shit out of me. I never opened the cupboard because that Quaker Oats guy was staring at me. That's why she had Quaker Oats, Brian. Yeah, I don't think anyone ever ate them. I think she used it as as a deterrent to keep me out of the cupboard. Yeah, just thought, I know what will mess with Brian. Don't you think the Quaker Oats guy is creepy? 
No. Lauren, you, you really... think space is creepy, so... Going into space is scary. Looking at space is beautiful. I love seeing space and talking about space and learning about space, but I don't want to go into space. I've seen 2001, Lauren. When Hale got pissed off, look what happened. I know. Do you want that Have to happen to you? Have you ever asked, Siri? It's not going to happen to me. The chances of me going into space are very slim, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't want to go into space. Space scares the hell out of me. Not as much Brian, as the Quaker Oats guy. Brian, Brian, do you want me to tell you something? Yeah. Nobody is forcing you to go into space. No, and I have a feeling if I did go into space, the Quaker Oats guy would be there waiting for me. Yeah. He's a creepy-looking dude. People, Anybody out there, like, Google the image of the Quaker Oats box now and tell me that's not a creepy-looking dude. Speaking of shitty American food... Before we yes. go to our guests, um, did you go and get any uh, shitty American snacks to taste test on the show like we planned on? Yeah, but only the ones that I like because you didn't tell me anything to get. All right. Well, next time you're at that store, you're going to have to pop me up and I will tell you what to get so we can Welshy taste test on the air. We're going to have Lauren get American junk food at this store they have in Wales now. And she's going to taste it for the first time live on the air so we actually get the genuine reaction of what people in the UK think of our garbage food. Doesn't that sound fun, Lauren? Don't you like being a guinea pig? Yeah, but they they sell things like Mike and Ike's. And you used to be able to get Mike and Ike's everywhere for a bit. Yeah, but we're going to go with stuff you never tried. Like, I got you to try Ho-Ho's. Yeah, they were nice. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm not going to steer you wrong. It's not like I'm going to like make you eat crap. Like, and you know, Kurt's coming on, and on his show, I don't like it when people send him in disgusting things to do taste tests on. I sent them in a nice thing to do a taste test on, and that's what we're going to do to you. We're going to have you taste nice things. I'm not going to give you anything gross to eat. Okay. You trust me? Yeah. Well, do you trust me enough to fire up the magic interview box? Yes. Yes, I do. It's the Magic Interview Box. All right, and are you prepared, Lauren? Are you ready? Are you strapped in? Are you ready? I've got my seatbelt on. All right, flip the switch. Hey, Lauren. Yes? Are you ready for this? Because I am like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. All right, because uh. <laughs> it's going to be a full house. Is your nephew there? Is he part of the, the setup tonight, Lauren? See? Is he there? There it goes already. There. It's starting already, Lauren. See that? we got a full house. We've got, and it's going to be three on one here. All right, because we're going to be talking about Black Dog. Not the Led Zeppelin song, which is, I thought, what we were going to talk about at first. And I'm like, you know, I like The Who a lot more than Zeppelin. but And not like, um, you know, I had a Black Dog when I was a kid. He bit me. But uh, we're not talking about him either. Then I found out, no, we're talking about this like this like demon ghost manifestation thing that's like in the UK, but turns out it's all over the world. And when you're talking about freaky shit like that, who who do you, who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> sort of. Ghost hunters, and we know two of the best ghost hunters in all the way from the UK. The man, the myth, the mustache, Neil Story. 
Hello. And, and all the way from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. The host of the greatest podcast in the universe, The Strange Sessions, Kurt is with us. Thank Gentlemen, you so much. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you Great for to be us. Good to see you. Well, good to be here. I got to, okay, we're going to start nice and easy. The Black Dog, all right? Mm. Where the hell did this fear of the black dog come? I know the fear of black cats and shit. You know, people don't like black cats. I like black cats. But black dog, where? we'll start with Neil, because I know it originated in the UK. So, Neil, where, where did this legend come from? Well, I'd like to say, first of all, that I think this is a very special opportunity to explore the story of the black dog from both sides of the Atlantic. I can only really speak with any great knowledge of the black dog here in the United Kingdom. And as ever, I respect and I, and I want to learn more about the, the myths and legends of the world. And I know that there are myths and legends of black dogs all around the world that go back to ancient history. And maybe some of the team tonight or other people that are listening to this podcast will know of some of the more ancient tales that maybe go back in time with the native peoples of America uh, and the country we now know as America with the manifestation of the black dog. When you look back in the history of ancient Egypt, you will see Anubis, the black dog. And you, you'll find that there are stories all over the world that will relate to. Uh, in, in, in the Viking myth and folklore, you will hear about the Hound of Odin. For in Great Britain, you'll hear stories of black dogs that go right back to the Saxons. And they will talk about the Suaka or the Skucker. Now, the Saxons are the... Uh, it's, it's the Anglo-Saxon race, so what they are uh, immigrants, really, from, from Europe. Uh, the, the Saxons will find their heartlands are in Europe, as we would know it today, parts of Germany. But the, the Anglo-Saxons, they are here in Great Britain. It's not long after the Romans have left Great Britain, the Saxons are here, and they are recounting these stories. Now, for them, my understanding is that these stories go before the Saxons. They, they are pre-Saxon stories, but they are recorded as a, as a manifestation of a black dog, uh, a ghostly black dog, a demon black dog. Uh, in America, you might even call it a cryptid but it, it is a black dog that's known as Suaka or the Skucker. Uh, and both of those words are, are very ancient words for demon or devil. Wow. And uh, I want to point out to the audience listening, when we say Saxons, we're not talking about John Saxon, the actor who was in Enter the Dragon and Nightmare on Elm Street. We are, of course, well, talking... Did, did he actually wear a power piece toupee? That's my big question there with John Saxon. Oh, it was a power piece, all right, without question. Don't worry. 
I mean, he, he's great. I mean, I'm a big fan of Enter the Dragon. No messing. No, and he was a student of Bruce Lee's, so that was real. Now, Kurt, you're in Wisconsin. Like, are you afraid of black dogs there? No, no. no. I, I, I haven't really heard any reports of anything like that in Wisconsin. But you are um, fascinated with all that is strange, hence the Strange Sessions, the greatest podcast yes. in the universe. <laughs> Thank you. And doesn't Krista have a black dog? Lucy's not black. Oh, I thought Lucy she's, was a... She's white. She's the white tornado. Yeah, okay. I, thought, I thought she had a black lab for some reason. She used to. Yeah, okay. So she uh, had the no, black dog. And, and uh, what I found interesting is that I, from from my research, I didn't do a lot of research, but from my research, this, this primarily seems to be a UK thing. There are a couple, like you said, cryptids in the States that, that are said to be black dogs. But for the most part, this seems to be pretty specific to the UK. That's very interesting. Lauren, are you familiar with something called the Gwiski or Gwithki in Wales? Um, not really, no. Well, that's the black dog that you find in Wales, believe it or not. And I've been in a very privileged position over, particularly back in the 90s when I first got involved with researching the paranormal across Great Britain for a series of books we created called the Grim Almanacs. Um, I created the series, but I I wrote mostly about East Anglia, and, and people from around the country wrote the other volumes, because that was their specialised knowledge. Often people that had collected these stories for, for decades, they really good folks who sharing great affection for knowledge, and an affection for their local folklore. And for the very first time, really, we were able to look at the the United Kingdom. In East Anglia, you'll find the, the Anglo-Saxon stories of, of the Suaka and the Skaka. But you will find across Great Britain this manifestation of the black dog, which has a variety of names. So when you get to, uh, in Norfolk, it's known as Black Shuck. And that's the legend that I grew up with as a lad. But down in Suffolk, you will find accounts of the Padfoot. When you get across to middle Great Britain, uh, the middle part of England, in effect, you'll find stories of, of the what was known as the Trash, uh, the Shriker. And then when you get down to the southern part of Great Britain, you'll, you'll find the, the Beast of Bodmin. Uh, you will find over in Wales, there's the Gwithki. Uh, there's a uh, the Isle of Man. You'll find the uh, what they call the Morth Dug or the Moddy Do, and that's mentioned in the Lay of the Last Minstrel by Sir Walter Scott. So you can find it down all around the British Isles. You go to Scotland, you'll find it. You go to Lincolnshire, you'll find that. You'll also find a corruption of the story, which is this very odd cryptid, which, which they they have black dogs there, but they also find odd mythical animals in Lincolnshire around the, and Fenland, uh, things like the Shug Monkey, which might sound like a joke, but I can assure you it's not. It's a very dangerous creature that, if you see, can lead you astray and drag you down, and, and uh, it's a kind of talisman of doom. But you'll find black, black dogs all across Great Britain, but it changes often, even, even between two different counties. 
whether the dog is bringing you good luck if you see it or it's a, a protector of people you know there was stories from around the country you can find of, of young girls that have had to cross you know very lonely areas of marshland heathland for example and maybe they've been set upon by footpads uh, which is the old name for sort of uh, muggers in effect the, the opportunist muggers that would be out in the in the wild it's a bit like highwaymen but very low class they haven't even got a horse to ride set upon the girl and they may try and violate her too and then when, before the, any sort of serious violation takes place the black dog appears almost like the lone ranger and fright because these guys will see it they know it's terrifying they know it can bring death and it can send them on their way so it's quite a powerful spirit in that respect yeah, and, and like you were saying, it's not only in folklore and, and, and these things. I mean, it's all through history to now. I mean, the the black dogs are represented in the Harry Potter books. Um, yes. Sir um, Arthur Conan Doyle in uh, the probably the best Holmes novel, Hounds of the Baskerville, well, was the black right, dog. You're absolutely nailing it there. You're absolutely right. And, and that's a fascinating story. You'll find that the black dogs, and we might even return to this, you'll find that they they manifest in storytelling, in legend, and even in witch trials through the centuries. Uh, and what, what I think is fascinating is that in British witch trials, you'll see accounts of a, a, a black dog appearing to some of the witches in the trial testimony, for example, and it will be judged to be uh, a manifestation of the devil that the devil has either or, or a, a pretty serious demon has sent the black dog to do uh, the bidding of the witch the black dog can often change its form and that's why it may appear as the dog but it will actually turn into a cat it will be the familiar but when it's first seen it's a fierce dog this manifestation of the devil as a little aside, you may like to know that these creatures, the familiars of witches, be they a cat, stoat, or weasel, or strange combination creature, would do the bidding of the witch, supposedly. And that's where, in Great Britain, and I don't know whether in America this phrase has tra travelled to you, but you hear the phrase, old biddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that means she's a witch because she she's sending her bids out to do her bidding, and that's sort of the old names for familiars. They are the witch's bids, so she does does her bidding. But why why have I mentioned that black dogs, of course? But because in America, when you've got the settlers going over there, you've got the Mayflower. Well, you've also got you've got witch trials going over there, and. It was a great privilege in my university years that I got to meet Arthur Miller. Uh, he was very closely associated with the University of East Anglia, and there's the Arthur Miller Literature Centre there. And he came over <laughs> in person, this great literary luminary. Uh, and you've got Death of a Salesman, which, you know, it's an iconic view from the bridge, you know. But for me, it was... Uh, it was the crucible.
that was one of the things that really got me into the the serious study of of, of witchcraft of, of the witch uh, the witch scares you know and so we the whole witch fear and scares that were exported with the Mayflower and the early settlers of America, they are a tr they transpose those same fears of Great Britain into the early America, and that was captured so perfectly by Arthur Miller, and it was great to be able to have a have a chance to talk to him about that. He was fascinated to learn about more of the, the sort of true story from the Great British angle. And, of course, he knew about witchcraft, or witch hunts at least, uh, from, the, from the MacArthur uh, persecution. So that was a fascinating chance to, to just talk to him over coffee about that. Uh, and it was quite amusing that I was just an undergraduate. And there is the English lit high ups there, uh, the luminaries that were in awe of Arthur Miller and here's he and, I, he and I talking quite in depth about the history of witchcraft uh, and it's a memory I will treasure also being able to look at Arthur Miller in the eye and ju I just said one name to him because we got on uh, he's one of, he was one of those people that you just got on really well with uh, uh, with, with, I mean, I'm not saying I, was, I became a close, intimate friend, but when you meet somebody, you either get on or you don't. You know, it's like meeting somebody at a conference. Sometimes you'll just click with one of the speakers and get on really well because he doesn't want people sucking up to them. He wants a real person to have a real conversation with them. And they were coffee with, with Arthur Miller. and we, He knew he had to go back on it. We just looked at each other. And he knew that I was a young man. I... I, I, I did have a couple of very pretty girls who were my friends uh, <laughs> and he still liked the girls and he had to go we knew he had to go and I just looked at him and he looked at me and I said Marilyn and he looked at me and he just winked and he, <laughs> this, and he punched my arm and I punched his and that was one of the greatest moments in my life to have a punch on the arm from Arthur Miller and the smile that man gave me was just because we just knew we just knew <laughs> and it was but that's a long way away from talking about witchcraft and dogs but that's a really special memory that I wanted to share because do you know some people think of he was a great literary man but I, I, I in our tiny little half an hour we had together just having a yarn I said did you ever expect to be so famous and so popular and he said you know Neil I, I just wrote I wrote radio plays but they just seem to capture something of the time yeah and I think that's just the mark of a genius and that's the mark of a very modest a very lovely man that well I'm we, not going to be a lovely man now because I'm going to have to go to Kurt now you have to follow that story Kurt and uh Good luck, but what, uh, I went to, to the Black Dog. One of the places that it's actually reported in America is a, a place I learned about from an episode of your show. I'm guessing the Bridgewater Triangle? The Bridgewater Triangle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the ones that's seen out in that area is said to be the Fence Rail Dog. I don't remember if we talked about that on our podcast. You or mentioned that. it briefly, but... yeah. 
but that is where a legend of a black dog called the fence rail dog originated. Tell us more about how he manifests, Kurt. Uh, it said that uh, I, I took this directly from the website Pine Barren Institute, which is a great website that I've used a lot from uh, for research. But it said that it, it uh, originated in the state of Delaware and focuses on a particular stretch of road on Highway 12, which passes through the towns of Frederick, Frederica and Felton. And it's said to stand about four feet tall and to be about ten feet long, which is pretty long. Ten foot long? Yeah. Wow. That's a big dog. Yeah, and it's said one of the reasons why people believe it is related to the black dogs is because it's said to have red eyes, which is, is said to yes. be one of the, the, one of the uh, trademarks of the black dogs in the U.K. It's, it's a very interesting thing across the U.K. that you do find the red dogs and I, the red eyes of, of, of the black dogs. In my neck of the woods, I, I grew up not far from the coast of Norfolk, North Norfolk coast. And it's very much a smuggler's coast around there. And that's where I think the, the smugglers hijacked the legend. Mm-hmm. And they started putting about that the dog is actually headless. And it has one eye that it burns in front of the body. And they said, if you see it and you tell anybody that you have seen the black dog, that either you or a member of your family will go mad or die within the year. Well, that's happy. That's happy. And what they used to do was, when they were landing their uh, nefarious goods which was mostly tea, actually. People talk about brandy and tobacco, but the heaviest duty was on tea. And you also get these loads of bananas coming in as well, bandananas that they used to call them. And they used to let go a a sheep, often a ram, with a chain to drag on the ground, with a lantern swung around its neck, so that people would fit, and they'd often put a a sort of, a a Norfolk word for a, a very matted, old blanket it's a shuggy blanket so they put this shug blanket over the top so it would look like this quite large beast with a burning eye wandering around the lanes around where they were landing their their goods as a little aside they also had hijacked the story of queen anne boleyn's carriage where they claimed that the carriage used to rise up on one of the norfolk broads and it would travel over all of the bridges at midnight and crash into the, the driveway of Blickling Hall where Anne Boleyn grew up as a girl. Which is a bit, very tall story, but it's very easy to create uh, a ghostly phantom coach, believe it or not. Because what you do is on a moonlit night you get six beautiful white horses and you paint their heads black. You get the coach driver to turn his tall collar up you take his hat off black his face and he becomes a headless coachman too so you've got a black dog to keep people away on the coastline and then when they're running the contraband inland they're using these fabricated uh, coaches that look like headless horsemen kind of a dick move kind of (laughs) The, the idea was that if you see it and you tell anybody, uh, either your uh, family will go mad, 
you had to keep still for a year and a day. And if after a year and a day you hadn't said anything, you could say. So it just goes to show that, you know, that they'd be clean gone and well gone by the time you said anything. It's, it's an intriguing story. But, ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you this much. The double red-eyed dog is no joke. It is no fabrication. And over decades now giving talks on, on ghosts and the paranormal in my, in my home county, whenever I speak along the North Norfolk coastline, and indeed most of the Norfolk coastline, I will show up a slide of uh, to represent the black dog and it will not it's quite a lovely old engraving of a wolf that i have that's baying and its teeth are all, all. and as I, I won't say a word and i say and of course the most notorious ghost of our coastline is the and, and the room goes quiet because i can assure you for many true old families of north norfolk even today Whatever the the I'm using the term ghost. It could be a cryptid, it could be uh, a demonic manifestation that is uh, the black dog that we know as Black Shuck, the Suaka or the Skaka, the Shuck dog. People believe it exists. People believe it is a, a harbinger of doom. And for the real manifestations, it does indeed, as Kurt said, it has two red eyes. Yeah. And what is interesting is that people after my talks have come to see me and they, they said, I don't want, don't give my name out in future talks, but numerous, and this is numerous people have said, I have seen it. This is not, these are not people that have... Uh, plenty to drink these are not people that uh, they're just ordinary folks they see and what is intriguing is that they will see in the dark the two red eyes they won't necessarily see the rest of the beast they will see that there is some sort of creature there but the red eyes are looking at them and in country areas there's often uh, the street lamps are somewhat sparse they're they're not uh, as close together as you'd say get into it in a town or a city but they say that if there are street lights around and black shuck appears and you see these eyes you see I can just see the eyes I can't really see the shape of it the rest of it and suddenly they realize that where that dog has manifested the street lamps have gone out and yeah. only when the dog is gone to the street lamps flicker back on and you've got a street lamp there again and what i thought was interesting is i came across that a lot looking up these stories is there were a lot of street lights a lot of like street lamps and yeah. it just surprised me because our last episode we did was about the top the hat man which is a supposedly a, a shadow person that wears a a hat like a fedora or a top hat and a lot of people see this thing, and a lot of people see this thing under a streetlight. So I just thought that was a really interesting, you know, comparison between yes. the, well, the black yeah. dogs and the hat man. And I wanted to bring that up, Kurt, because not only that, that the hat man is seen with glowing red eyes. In America, most of our tales of cryptids, be it Mothman, 
or Chupacabra, which is more uh, uh, Puerto Rico, but also in the States itself, all seem to have glowing red eyes. Yeah. That's like a common trait, especially in America, with all of our cryptids. And looking at some of these stories, it almost seemed to me like the Black Dog is the UK's version of our Hatman. Like, it's almost the same thing, maybe in a different form, because there were a lot of similarities. That's very intriguing. Before we lose the thread too far, regarding Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the creation of the Hound of the Baskervilles, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a... A, a very very good author in his day. I mean, he he was he was one of the luminaries up there with Hall Caine and Robert Louis Stevenson in his day. Uh, he was the creation of Sherlock Holmes. He hated it, but he also loved it. But he was also a doctor. He was also uh, a war correspondent. And Sir Arthur Conan Doyle went out to what we call the South African War, it's otherwise known as the Boer War in South Africa. He was part of an ambulance train out there as a doctor, and he contracted enteric fever, which meant he had to come back home, he was evacuated back home. He received treatment, and for his rehabilitation, he was told you need to take good fresh air. And this this story is well attested if you dig dig a little bit into Conan Doyle's uh, biography. And he was told come to go to Norfolk. And Conan Doyle was a very keen golfer. And with his friend, who was also a keen folklorist, a man who there's not a lot enough credit given to Bertram Fletcher Robinson. Now Bertram Fletcher Robinson was the editor of Vanity Fair enormously popular magazine in its day but he loved folklore and he loved legend and so with Doyle and Fletcher Robinson on holiday together on the North Norfolk coast playing golf at Cromer and Sheringham at West Runton they heard the story of the Black Shuck the great devil dog of the Norfolk coast they went to visit Cromer Hall. Cromer Hall's actually got tall uh, spires. They're small uh, for a, uh, in the grand scheme of a church spire, but for a country house, it's got spires, tall chimneys, and when you look at the description of Baskerville Manor, you will see that Conan Doyle is in part drawing on Cromer Hall. But of course, he's also drawing on the on the on the story of Black Shuck. He's also drawing on the coachman's name at Cromer Hall at the time. So the story goes, and that was a certain Mister Baskerville. <laughs> the point is that this was in 1900, was it 1901 or thereabouts that Conan Doyle put together this incredible story, as you say, Brian, probably the greatest of all the Sherlock Holmes stories. And whenever I see the film of Basil Rathbone or uh, Peter Cushing or or dear Jeremy Brett uh, shooting at uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles on Dartmoor, I can't help but thinking he's shooting our very own black shuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now it's it's so funny how 
the hellhound or the devil dog or the black dog that we mentioned earlier it's all over the world the tradition seemed to go back to the uk but it is all over the world and are there any other kurt you could speak to this probably are there any other cryptids that really other than bigfoot which is known by so many names in different cultures that mm-hmm. really transcend all over the world like this dog does. No, not as, not not like that. Not like this dog. One thing that I thought was really interesting though was looking up these stories of dogs, like cryptid dogs around the United States is that I was surprised that such a large percentage of them seemed to be for lack of a better word good. Like they're protect they, they're protecting people. And that kind of surprised me is that a large percentage of these can be seen as guardians or as good as opposed to something demonic or bad. UK as well, Kurt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such an interesting juxtaposition that the thing is viewed as evil. It's demonic. But it manifests when people are in danger. Mm-hmm. And because of its reputation as this demonic devil danger dog that it, it saves them it it will protect them from uh those that wish to do harm to others almost like it's a robin hood most... figure like it's mm-hmm. you know still a villain but it's protecting the uh the downtrodden that was it, that was one of the theories it's not just a manifestation you see it mm-hmm. goes beyond just a, an appearance a glimpse of a, a demon or an entity it, it does something. I think that's intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what were you going to say, Kurt? The, that was one of the theories about the fence rail dog. That uh, it, One of the legends about it was that it was actually a ghost of a dog that came back because it was taken in by a really kind landlord, and one of the tenants murdered the landlord, ground him up, and fed him to the dog. Woo! Yeah, and and that was one of the, the origin stories, and that it said that the the dog came back to protect that people from ever having something like that happen. So it's almost like a reverse John Wick, where you know, in John Wick, he, he was he was trying to get revenge for somebody killing his dog, and in this one, the dog's trying to get revenge for somebody killing his master. But I just thought that was that was an interesting. I got a question for both of you, actually, that, so we've seen it be good, we've seen it be bad, we've seen it be a protector, we've seen it be a defender. Are there ever cases where the black dog takes on the traits of like a puka and is just like mischievous? The black dog can kill. And one of the earliest accounts of black dogs in the anywhere in the country it, it, because it's very much an East Anglian story dates back to 1577 now for Great Britain the, the 4th of August is is a date where when you study folkloric history there have been all sorts of accidents disasters uh, over the years on the 4th of August it's one of those days you know having had the chance to compile these grim almanac books where there's a grim tale for every day we are never short of dark things and awful things and accidents that have happened on the 4th of August I mean let's face it in 1939 for Great Britain that's when we went to war with Germany 
that's the kind of cataclysm you know the extreme end of the 4th of August. I believe in America you were somewhat later joining the conflict, but we won't hold that against you. <laughs> we, 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 we couldn't have won it without you. And I must say, we it, those of us in East Anglia have a great affection for the airmen that served the Mighty Eighth and were so, became such a, a part of our communities. And I, I unhinged hesitatingly uh, pay tribute and respect to the men and women of, of, of the 8th Air Force, but particularly the men that were flying those uh, daylight uh, missions over Germany, and I, my God, might take my hat off to them. But for the year 1577, hundreds of years before that, on the 4th of August, a great storm was rolling over East Anglia, and in the town of Bungay, Bungay's still there today, uh, in their parish church, they were having a, a Sunday service. And as the storm rolled over the church, a great uh, zap of lightning. Now, we can talk about ball lightning, and I'm sure you're familiar with that, and we'll have discussed that on the show. A great zap of lightning hit the church tower of Bungay Church, and it hit it so badly, it burst the clock within the church tower so the story goes it sent masonry showering down inside the church and one and in some accounts two black dogs burst into Bungie church they drive and they run up the aisle the priest is giving the sermon tries to banish the dog anything that the dog touches anything that's human is drawn up like a purse that's the, the historical account and they're dead and but but that's a bungie and, and parts of the building are scorched where the dog touches and it, and it goes out of one of the church doors with a horrible burst of sulfur but that's not the only place on the same day but i mean bungie still celebrates the the black dog as an event they've got weather vanes with dogs standing on zaps of lightning it's part of the town sign there's black dog running groups there but over nearer to the coast, nearer to to Southwold, uh, across a, a, a beautiful bit of natural marshland called Wolberswick, when you go across Wolberswick, there is a, a mound and a medieval church, a very big, powerful, strong square tower with a clear story on it, and that is Blytheborough Church. In Blytheborough Church, they had the same experience, the zap of the lightning, one or two dogs, they go up the aisle of the church, the minister tries to banish the dog, the dog touches people, it kills people, and again, as it leaves the building, it bursts into this sort of cloud of sulphur, a horrible smelling cloud of sulphur, uh, leaving people dead, and you, you might think, well, that's a load of rubbish, you know, that's a medieval folktale. Well, it's certainly in the chat books of the time, but if you go, if you go to Blytheborough today, and you can, and I've taken hundreds of visitors there over the years, when you walk in, the, the font you can see has lumps taken out of it. Now, this is not from, from the iconoclasts damaging figures on the font. It is from the church tower being burst open by something and the masonry falling on the font. And you might think, well, that could have happened through a lightning strike. 
But then when you walk over to the door, exactly opposite the the door, most people coming in the church, exactly opposite is another door. And on that door are scratch marks. They've been there for 500 years, and they are still as black as the day they were made. They are not covered. They are exposed. You can touch them. All of my people that have come with me, we've touched it. You can put your finger in the grooves of these scratch marks. They're still as black as they were made all those centuries ago. Are they the claws of black shuck or a manifestation of, of, of bull lightning that uh, the, the local people were so afraid they thought these were the devil's dogs themselves? And you know, the, the 4th of August is a, a day of great uh, portent in British history, for it is the day that the First World War broke out for us uh, in 1914. But, you know, when I was writing my Grim Almanac books a few moons ago, wherever I went in the country, because we did the books county by county, you were never, ever short of dark events happening on the 4th of August. It must be one of those days that has a little bit of doom with it. Yeah, it's America's Friday the 13th, the 4th of <laughs> August. That sounds about right. I did I did see that story online, and what I thought was interesting was that it sounds like a lot of people that were in the church have the same description of what happened. So yes. it wasn't like it was one person that, you know, there's there's a lot of accounts of people seeing this. And some of the ones I read said that two people were kneeling at the time and the dog dog or dogs charged in and, and snapped the two people's necks within seconds and ran off. So yes. and and there were people that were there that verify that happened. So it's in know. the church book. I mean in the church itself they don't make much of it. There's no sort of plaques or signage. Only those of us who know the folk law and there's plenty of people that do know about the folklore I mean there's books been published on it dear old Christopher Reeve my old friend at Bungie uh, he's written a very very good account of it but accounts are written you see it's in the church book but uh, the Reverend Abraham Fleming in 1577 published the story in a chat book the front page of that chat book I sent to Brian before we went on air tonight and, the, and some of you will also, I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with it. You can look it up. If you look up, you know, Black Dogs, Bungie or Blytheborough on the Internet, you can look it up and you will see that page. And my point is, and why I sent it to you, Brian, and I'm sure others will see it, is that when you look, and it was pointed out to me, I, I, I've spoken for all sorts of audiences over the years, including people who are uh, naturalists. They love animals. They love the the the, uh, the world of nature, uh, be it birds, creatures, you know, m marine wildlife. And a gentleman spoke to me afterwards, and he, he said, when you look at the picture of what is supposed to be this devil dog it's an engraving from 1577 it doesn't look like a dog he said you know it's got paws with claws and he said that 
the creature looks more like an interpretation of a panther. And what is intriguing is that in Great Britain we have a very long history that goes right back, and I'm sure Lauren will know about the menageries that were in this country uh, from quite early on. You know, as soon as we've got exploration, we've got travel. Uh, people are bringing back exotic pets. And there is a feeling, a thought, that maybe there could be pumas in our, our countryside. In, in the 1970s, I mean, I, I remember there was this instance of what was called the Surrey puma. And over the years, you will find these occasional news stories that will come out, probably on a slow news week, but somebody's seen a Surrey puma. And I think possibly in America, you've got some <laughs> quite formidable beasts out there too. Oh, we've got the uh, the famous alligators in the sewer in uh, in America. Yeah, Lauren. Yes. Do you want to buy a devil dog? Uh, no, nah, I've got one. Thanks. She's <laughs> she's, uh, she's very naughty. What do you th- What do you think Does about all the folklore? Eyes, she does. She has. She has problems with producing tears, so she very often does have red eyes. <laughs> oh, now let's let's make sure that it's not a black dog that you have, though. It is a white dog. It is a white dog. Yes. Uh, what is the breed of your devil dog? She's a Bichon Frise. Now, this is a dog that can be shaved to look like it has a spaceman's helmet on its head. Yes, <laughs> and I believe certain owners do do that to their dogs. She has a scruffy cut. She she doesn't like that. No, no, but some owners do do that to their Bichon Frise, do they not? Yes, they do. And they dye them colours as well. So They Whoa. dye their dogs? Yeah, yeah. Um, the... Do they put it to a washing machine? Or, or how do they get the uh, dog to be dyed? You, um, The groomer does it. They paint it on. And you can have chalks various chalks that you can draw on your dog with we're not talking about a spray paint here Lauren no 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 it's dye it's proper dye she like I I don't know how they do it but we've never thought about doing it so if I nip down to what the equivalent of Toys R Us I bought a pack of chalks I could I could scribble on a dog with them is that is that correct Uh, no they have to be a special kind of chalk that's safe to put on the dog but you can buy chalks to put on them. Would, would you write a message on your dog? No. I don't want to write on my dog. Do you think the dog likes it to be no. to be chalked on? No. So it would look like a bunch of dogs that were in Rowan and Martin's laughing. <laughs> well, that was an American joke. Sorry, guys. No, we used to see the reruns of Rowan and Mar- Martin's laughing. Thanks for not oh, laughing, that, that then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember dogs in it, though. No, but the people had no, all the, the things painted had, on them. Had, yeah, people had words and stuff painted on them when they were dancing. People did, but not the yeah. dogs. No, they should paint the dogs. No, I don't like I, the idea I, of painting I, dogs. I dogs, Brian. My sister did paint her cat's nails once. <laughs> Your sister? Okay. Neil... That's got much. You were... you. Kurt, I don't know if you were privy to this information, 
that a couple episodes ago, this is completely off topic, and she told me, ask Neil next time you talk to him, he'll know the story. Did you know that Lauren's sister once found a bomb behind their yeah, house? It's an incendiary device. They're about the size of a, a kitchen toilet roll holder. No, wow. bigger than that. Was it a bigger one? Yeah. Well, that's not a standard incendiary bomb. I mean, a one kilogram magnesium bomb is about, I don't know, a foot tall. It took two of them to carry it up to the friend's house. That That's quite a serious device. Did somebody that's have to come and set it, it off and explode yeah, it? Yes, get this. That, they picked it up, took it to a friend's house, dropped stuff. it on the way, took it to their friend's house to show off the bomb that they found. They said, get this the hell out of my house. They carried it back yeah. somewhere before the bomb squad eventually got called out and had to evacuate <laughs> the place because it was still live. <laughs> That, that's quite a serious size of bomb. If two people have to carry in any type of explosive device, you know that that's gonna yeah that's gonna make a bit of a dent in the pavement. You know, yes. we might say in London. Yeah. You know, yeah. if that could happen, Lauren. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I do like my military collectibles. Don't get me wrong, but that's one on maybe I wouldn't be putting on my shelf. You know, in case it fell off. <laughs> I think the devil dog yeah. put it there. Probably. I have heard of an anti-personnel bomb that was dropped on Great Britain in the in, after the sort of mid part, late part, later part of the war. It was called a butterfly bomb, and it's a canister that was be it would be dropped in a larger canister. As it's coming down, it springs open, and it sends these things down. They've got what they call veins on top. It would spring open, so you end up with a, an explosive device about the size of your fist with like quite fat rotor blades on the top of it and it would spin down to the ground and the idea that it catch on uh sort of hedgerows or or gates and it would only go off if you moved it but these were un desperately unreliable devices and they're still being found around the world uh where where there was enemy action uh to this day including central europe and uh, there, there was one instance where, and I believe there is film of this, that one guy got hold of one of these and he, he thought it was like the head off a mallet. And so he tied it onto a piece of wood and started using it like a mallet. <laughs> I, I believe the outcome of that uh, experiment is on YouTube. Uh, at no point do I or any member of the Transatlantic Historic Met Ramblings condone no. such, such behavior. You know, don't try this at home, kids. Do not. Do not put a, an anti-personnel explosive device it, on the end of a stick and start using it like a mallet. You know? No. No, now I'm even more scared. <laughs> but if you've got a device that it takes two healthy young people to carry... Uh, that that's pretty serious. Yeah. So, all right. Before I start having nightmares about this again, back to something happy like the devil dog. <laughs> you have nightmares about what I said. <laughs> the funny thing is, talking about if we go back to the devil dogs and the instance of the the Surrey puma, people believe that they've seen it, and for the Surrey puma, what's intriguing is that where people think they've seen it. They try and get casts of the paws uh, in the mud or, or any type of moist ground around there. And the curious thing is that 
often they don't work out that these pores don't look convincing they're 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 not easy to take a, a print of it or indeed even in quite clay like muddy ground where there has been a sighting and even been photographs of this creature uh, there is no there are no traces of the pores and i think that's very strange i i think the people that I've met that believe that they have seen the creature, they're perfectly honest folks. There are numerous stories of how we end up with black dogs. The earliest stories, of course, they're, they're lost in the mist of time. Uh, quite often, if you discuss it academically with those interested in, in early uh, myths, of the country we know know as, as Great Britain they will talk of the manifestation of the black dog uh, being a, like a folk tale uh, a legend from the past but when you start getting into uh, the Fleming sightings of course that they're, they're supposedly some sort of demon that comes in a storm people have talked about them being a lost deity in other words that it's a very dangerous thing to evoke the dark forces of the world. Uh, I personally urge people against using Ouija boards uh, because I think that they are a very good way to open a gate and a very easy gate to open into the spirit world and the world of the unknown. But once you've opened that gate, it is very easy how do you know how to shut it? And if you've let anything through that gate, how are you going to get them to go back? Yeah. And that's one of the biggest dangers of summoning up spirits. Now, the thing is, if you have an ancient spirit that has been venerated, has been worshipped, has been conjured, and indeed the Black Friars, sorry, the Grey Friars of Great Yarmouth, uh, they would have what they call a candle service every year to bind the spirit of the black dog, to keep it down so it would not roam around the streets of the ancient town of Great Yarmouth. They would go to the old Haven Bridge. They would light candles, which were not cheap in those days, and you'd light a candle and drop it into the water, and all of the members of the monastery would do that. And it was known as the candle service. Then the idea was that with their prayer and the dropping of these candles it, it would bind the black dog not to walk in the town of Yarmouth for the next year the next year they would conduct the service again and this is all well attested it's not pie in the sky but the trouble was when King Henry VIII dissolved the monasteries well of course you've got no more monks to carry out the candle services that's part of the reason why we had the reformation is because people were getting fed above the folklore and that the catholic church was using the folklore to control people and to extort money from them so henry wasn't all that bad it wasn't all that bad but then we get into bloody mary that starts going back to the oh you're not worshiping worshiping the correct way and you get all sorts of issues about the flipping sides of faith and oh goodness people being burned at stakes for religious belief that's a very different story compared to elizabeth and henry she didn't execute 
half as much as they did. Oh, not as many. No, no. See this, but Kurt? If you get two of these 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 UK people debating Henry, <laughs> it gets like crazy. We could just like ring a bell like a boxing match here. It would be great. One thing I, that I when I, I was looking like good parity. On, on our views of, of, of <laughs> so what were you going to say, Kurt? Well, what it surprised me, like looking into uh, the black dogs, like it surprised it surprised me, but it also didn't surprise me that the UK look at it almost more from a folklore point of view, and they're more concerned with the mythology of it and and all that stuff. Where I feel like here in the United States you'd have five reality programs with people out trying to hunt this thing. And I feel like, and I feel like that's kind of shows the difference between us, you know, like, like, yes, it just surprised me. It's very much a a folklore subject. I think that's, I think that's because we are an older country and that we probably, and and in the time when people really would have gone out and hunted these things, we didn't have reality. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> so, and, and there's a part of me, there's a part of me that thinks that television's documented. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks that a lot of that it's not as prevalent here in the states because I think to a lot of people it's just a dog, and I think you need to be something more bizarre. You know what I'm saying? Like a Bigfoot, some kind of like a yeah. Jersey Devil. Like However, I feel like people go towards more something fantastical like that than just a dog, a ghost it, it, of a it dog. It is, and however, I've... wormed its way into us a little bit. If you look, and you know, I wasn't even thinking about this until we started doing this discussion. Look at the original Ghostbusters. What is? Oh a, yeah, yeah. The yeah. devil dog with the glowing eyes. Yeah, yeah. Zulu. Zulu. <laughs> yeah, Zool. Oh yeah, and it, it, it's true. You'll see it in all manner of, of folkloric literature from around the world, and even if it's not described verbally, it will be illustrated. Yeah, and you have as, the dog. You have the uh, I can't remember its name right now, but the dog that guards the the gate. Oh, in Egypt, in Egypt, the Egyptian. Well, oh, in Hades. Yeah, wasn't it Cerebus? Cerebus. Yeah. Yeah. Cerebus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can find these creatures uh, in all, and you think of all that. Even in in the dim and distant past, dogs have been all sorts of colours, but a black dog certainly has that uh, kudos uh, that attracts the, the 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 darker stories. I I think it's a it's a fact. I mean, in Great Britain. There are instances, and it's not a big country. I mean, I think you can fit Great Britain several times over into a number of American states. Uh, but there are animals here that we, we, we're finding. I mean, it's not that long ago, in the 20th century, a, a live wolf was found in Great Britain. Hey, that reminds me. That's a great kind of segue. And I want all three of you to chime in on this one. Do you think that the folklore and legends of maybe like the werewolves and vampires come from the black dog legend? Maybe as a shapeshifter. The werewolf is more to do with the monstrous races of the medieval period because if you look at a map like the map of Monday, like 
parts that weren't that easily accessible, you'd have the makeup races of people where their heads were on their chest and everything. So the werewolf is to do more with the, the monstrous races and the vampire is more to do with the the effects of decay on a on on bodies in after the plague. When if you had the plague you'd bleed out of your eyes and your nose and your mouth and they used to put stones in the mouth to stop you reanimating it was weird so lauren just said no brian dumb question <laughs> but that, but, I'm as a I, you can find <laughs> you, the point is with, with with folkloric literature is that you you can find its origins in all sorts of ancient tales i mean for example with the vampire legend you're quite right and it's not just the the decay and the death but you will find stories of people coming back to life uh, from stupor uh, and coma uh, induced by disease, sickness, illness of the time. Um, Black Dog uh, is associated, uh, of course, with vampire. Uh, when you look back, uh, we owe an awful lot to a man I'll describe as our friend Bram and he is our friend uh, and uh, as is Dacre Stoker and the Stoker family who have kept uh, Bram's great torch still burning uh, and I extend my warmest wishes as ever to Dacre and all the Stoker family who I can my friends uh, and I'm honoured to do so it's really amazing. It's people, and, and that's the wonderful thing that I think, if Bram Stoker was your friend, he was your friend for life, and you can see that in his in his memoirs and his, his stories. Uh, and he's like that, and you've had that chance to, to spend that with Dacre, and I think that's part of that legacy of the Stoker family. And in fact, I know Stokers now, in in from the Morpeth area, in Northumberland, where Bram's ancestors come from, and do you know what? They're just the same. They're lovely people too. But for Bram, he also evokes and and and, and creates certain vampire law. But we can see vampires as shapeshifters mm -hmm. before Bram Stoker's Dracula, and I mean Bram Stoker's, not the film called Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm talking about the 19th century book. Uh, you you can see accounts in uh, literature going back where you can find this sort of, and it is a strange amalgam where you can find a a vampire that can be a shapeshifter that can turn into a dog or a wolf, you know, and and and. Uh, run with the creatures of the night uh, it, it's a very intriguing uh, conglomeration and of course once you start getting the vampire you're, and, and turning into a dog it's it's not that great a leap in, in the telling of folklore rather than the study of folklore but the telling of folklore to turn that creature into a vampire because I, I seem to remember a legend being that if a, if a dog or a cat would leap over a corpse, then it could turn into a vampire. Yes. So there there is, there are connections between and dogs and vampires. In America, Kurt, we have, you know, our shapeshifters, a lot of which come from Native American lore, um, the skinwalkers. Yes. Which also 
can turn into dogs or wolves. They've been described as rabid animals. Or we have people. our yeah. beast. We have our beast of Bray Road here in Wisconsin that is like a werewolf or a dog or a huge dog, and that's one of our. That's probably Wisconsin's biggest cryptid is the beast of Bray Road. Is he a Packers fan? It's got to be. The cheese head just has to, probably yeah no yeah if it would be running around with one of those foam cheese heads on yeah then you would know but yeah it's got to be a Packers fan. Don't you have a whole ranch that is called Skinwalker Ranch? We yes. have a whole yes that is. I've been watching that and I, I have to say, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm quite intrigued by all of that going on. Yeah, I read a book years ago about Skinwalker Ranch, and that's what really, really got me into it, and that is one of my bucket list places that I would love to visit sometime. Which book? Was that the one that... Um, the, the Hunt for, the Hunt for, Hunt the Skinwalker. for Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. Yes. A good friend of mine has been there for recorded a show there, and on the ground, there is an atmosphere of the place, mm-hmm. but it was sat looking at the sky above the Skinwalker Ranch, seeing things that are not satellites, not aircraft, but things in the sky moving very, very quickly, mm-hmm. very oddly, pulsing lights. You're talking about Dave Schrader when he looks up into the sky at Skinwalker Ranch and asks the aliens to abduct him. It, 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 it oh. may be... Uh, 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 yeah, it, it, it's day. Okay, okay. Fair. I didn't know whether the show. I think everybody's seen it. Yeah, I haven't I seen it he yet. He's just like taunting them to come. But that is another legend from Skinwalker Ranch. It's absolutely. It's a weird thing. I mean, if you look at the way that some of the people presenting ghost shows, they wouldn't normally behave like that. Yeah. Oh, that's the adrenaline, though. When you want to go, everybody acts weird. And and he was in a situation where he was asking this this ghost to manifest. We believe this is a portal. Kind of show yourself. And it can bring out an aggressive side of the ghost hunter. Um, I've got the privilege of knowing Dave. I don't know Zach, but I know people who know Zach and like Zach a lot. (laughs) Not Uh, Kurt. You know, I just, I just don't, I don't like televised ghost shows. Well, you know, the, I've, I've had experiences on them where they're, yeah. Well, for my money, those that I've met, I, I, I've, I believe that they've got, uh, those that I, I've known and spent time with, they've got a respect for the subject and they want to share that subject. Yes. Uh, but what, what has intrigued me, whether you like the shows or not, is the way that places can affect people mm-hmm. and get them to behave in in ways that they would I've spent time with Dave Schrader I wouldn't a good quality time on that big ghost tour of the UK, we've known each other for years now it's not his style and it's something that must have come and you, you look at other ghost hunters uh, and there must be something affecting them for the producers it, that, no, yeah. that, that has happened to us on investigations. We've been in places where all of us suddenly felt sick at the same time or yeah. where all of us suddenly felt angry at the same time. So I do 100% believe that happens. It does. And, and can get you to say things like, do show you this, because that's what they want you to do. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. whatever the power may be, and I'm not, I'm not going to get too into, into what what makes a ghost uh, a manifestation, or you know. I believe that if people go in with certain attitudes, there's a good chance you won't see a ghost. It's why I think most people not thinking about ghosts and spirits and all sorts will, will glimpse something far more than, and I, I can speak as, as a ghost under myself, I've gone, into, gone to places, historical places, that have really good ghost stories for, you know, been recorded for centuries, I think, yes! Tonight's the night, ladies and gentlemen. I've been waiting all these years to spend the night at... And I've got to be on... There's atmospheres. There's maybe... Heart and cup, but I haven't seen... In the in the majority of situations, I haven't seen anything. Or well, Kurt, you've got the, the one place that you yeah. always have action at. That yeah, store. The, the second-hand store in, here in Wisconsin. It's like an antique store. We've had... Every time we've gone there, we've had stuff happen. And what's interesting about that place is it seems like it presents itself the first time you go there. And then after that, it's kind of used to you and it's kind of done with you. And it still does stuff. But it, it, a lot of time I went there with a friend of mine that didn't really believe it. And then he said he would never go back in there after that. <laughs> yeah, he wow. threw up when we left there. My favourite place, though, was a castle that was used as a prison. That was amazing. Where, where, where is that? Which in one was Marvin. Um, in the in the condemned cell, um, we had um, agonal so, breathing. Say it again, please, Lauren. Uh, commanding castle. We had agonal breathing in the um, in the condemned cell, which is like the death rattle. And it was constant, as creepy as anything. It sounds creepy. You've got an incredible, <laughs> incredible jail, jail that is haunted in um, Wales as well. It's not far from where we were filming in Oswestry. Street. And it's now where some of the county record office is held. I forget the name of the prison that's there. Do you mean Ruthin? Yes, R-U-T-H-I-N. Yeah, Ruthin. Can you pronounced, please? Ruthin. Ruthin. I was going to say Ruthin. Yeah, it's Ruthin. Yeah, thank you. And when we we went there to do, it was a day off from filming, years and years ago. And my goodness, the atmosphere in in Ruthin Jail was quite quite remarkable. And I've been in all sorts of prisons. The most haunted prison I know is 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 the Bridewell at Walsingham in Norfolk, uh, which has still got a dark cell intact. Uh, that's a very scary place, but Ruthin has a. I was I was surprised because it's a very nice museum in there, but it's got a really uh, strange atmosphere in some of those cells. That are yeah, we we did a overnight stay at the Mansfield, the Ohio uh, Penitentiary in Mansfield, and that's where part of uh, that's where the prison scenes from the Shawshank Redemption movie were filmed. Oh, yes, yes, but we uh, we saw something there. We saw a shadow person, but. Nothing felt weird to us until we sat and spent time in the old tuberculosis ward of the hospital. And that is when all of us felt the same exact, we don't want to be here. It felt really oppressive. And I don't know, that's one of the, that's one of the instances where we all that were sitting there felt the exact same way. Like, we don't want to be here. We do not want to be here. Did it affect you with a physical experience, Kurt, or yes. just emotional? No, it was a physical. It was a physical. Did it affect your breathing as well? Yeah. Yep. Yes. 
and as much as I love investigating places, one one type of place that I just hate the idea of investigating is an abandoned insane asylum. There's something about that that just really bothers me, and we're actually going to be doing that this summer. Wow. Yeah, there's a pretty notorious one in, in where up where I live, but I, I've never gone to it. They don't like me to go on those ghost tours. Being the skeptic, no. they get mad at me. <laughs> what, what, what has impressed me is, have you seen, uh, probably have, paranormal caught on camera? Yes. <laughs> the American one, the version. And, I've probably seen the British version. And yeah. I... I've seen the American version, and I've been very impressed with some of the things that I've seen on there. And one of them was filmed in a a, a former asylum, now a, a vacated building, and on the ground, which brings us quite nicely back in some ways to to the back dog manifestation, is this creature that looks like a humanoid spider creeping up the corridor. The creeper. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's caught on camera. It's there briefly, but it's quite. It's without a doubt. It's not a piece of. Uh, I I would be surprised if a human being could make that kind of form or shape. I'm here to be proved wrong, of course, because there's some very technical things around nowadays. But I, I was impressed by the honesty, uh, of, of what I think I think I saw. It was most intriguing to see these guys that were just filming in the asylum hoping to see a ghost and they see this crypt creature crawling up there it's very strange well <laughs> that, that certainly wraps us back to devil dogs now we could talk on many different subjects I know and I, I love to do so but there's a very good reason why I wanted to talk about black dogs tonight um we, we try and keep things light on the show uh, but i wanted to share something that is very personal to me and i think will touch the lives of of, of other people who have loved the world of the paranormal loved research pa- researching paranormal ghosts and legends he won't be known to everybody but he was one of my best friends and his name was andrew selwyn chrome and and Al, uh, Andrew, uh, in later years, liked to be known as Andrew Solomon because he was uh, from a, a family of uh, Jewish descent that had changed their name. He wanted to claim that name back for his, for, for his personal journey in life. So he became known as Andrew Solomon. But many of you will know him as Andrew Selwyn Chrome. And Andrew and I first became friends, and we used to spend Christmas and holidays together. And when I wrote my Grim Almanac books, when I was writing my things, my very popular little book of death, and my little books of various counties, and little book of murder, uh, he was my wingman. Uh, we would spend... and. You know, some of the darkest stories can have... Uh, you'll meet some wonderful people, but also there, there is humour to be had in some dark tales and the research of it. And, and in some of the books that I wrote, I, I, they were just books that loved uh, places, a sense of place, little book of Suffolk, little book of Norfolk. And uh, we used to laugh ourselves silly when we were looking at maps of East Anglia 
and and funny place names that you never expected to find. A place called Tud Lane or uh, <laughs> Slutle Corner or something like that. There's all sorts of crazy names that still linger out there. Uh, or a batch of fields called Fuente Donoro in the back end of Norfolk. We laughed ourselves silly. We drank lots of red wine. We loved Amicus. We loved Hammer. And I know that if Andrew had been in better health for a lot of his years, he would have shared an awful lot more of that. He he made a few uh, little British films. Uh, he was involved with documentaries. Uh, above all, he was my friend. And we came together through the story of the Black Dog. And on the, I think it was the 500th anniversary of uh, the Black Dog incident at Bungie. Uh, we staged at the Fisher Theatre. Their biggest ever audience was the night when we remembered and we told the story of black dogs. So the long way of saying, uh, I hope that we can dedicate tonight's show to a friend I'm going to be saying a final goodbye to next week. My friend, Andrew Selwyn Chrome. And wherever he may be on his journey now, I I hope that he will be with all of us on this show uh, and and enjoy it. And I can see him smiling now. Uh, I'm going to miss that guy. He sounds like a great guy. And with a sense of humor like that, don't be surprised if you wake up and he's standing in your room with the, the lantern around his neck. Like just <laughs> the know, one glowing eye. The deal is, uh, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I shared it, the deal is that if we are able to let each other know there is an afterlife where we can communicate. And I'll tell you now, he's told me he's going to come back and let me know. If he does, he was a great showman. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't mind if, if I let you know. He's the sort of devil that one morning when I'm having a shave, and you know you close the bathroom cabinet and you look in the mirror just over your shoulder, he'll be that, like that. He'll be yep. he'll, he'll enough and he will go. I betcha. Or, worse still, I will be using the, the, the toilet in a totally incapacitated way and he, he, he will manifest. He will do that. He will do that. He had that sort of sense of humour. You can understand. If you know me, you know my humour You and you know there's quite a lot of us stories that have that sense of humor yes. we have to be very sensible in front of our students but we we have a very very silly uh sense of humor sometimes yeah it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll be in the bathroom ladies and gentlemen <laughs> and i'll see that's why i'll come back i know he will on you for all the years you did prank phone calls on people <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it'll come that way i know it will well, my uh, friends, it's been lovely to see you all. It's yes. And before we go, I want to I wanna go around the room. And, Kurt, we'll start with you. A, your opinion on the devil dog. Do you think it's a harbinger of evil? Do you think it's a demon? Or do you think it's just purely folklore? Um, I think it exists. I really do think it exists. Uh, like, I think the hat man exists. I think there's just so many sightings of this thing. 
that you can't discount it. I don't think it's just folklore. I think it's something, but like the hat man, I can't figure out what it is. Like, you know, is it a protector? Is it, is it demonic? I don't know, but I really do think this thing exists. Lauren, your turn. I just think it's time to quote a little bit of Shakespeare. There are far more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than I dreamt of in your philosophies. All right, Lauren takes the high road. Neil! <laughs> For my money, I've, I've met so many people that, growing up throughout my life, that swear they have seen a black dog that they will know as Black Shuck. I have heard audience hushed at the mention of this creature. I kid you not. I respect people's spiritual beliefs. I, uh, I, I believe in the paranormal. And I believe that the black dog is a paranormal entity. It, uh, it exists. Whether we should fear it or not, I think you're a bad guy. Yes, you should fear that black dog. But if you are pure of heart, you'll be all right. All right. So well, now that's I the thing. Get... Like I'm predis, I'm predisposition to think of doggies as good. So I can't see a dog as being bad. You know. Yeah, that's yeah. where I'm going. I'm gonna be. It's gonna be three against one, like always on the show. When you guys are on, it's always three against one. I think it's folklore. <laughs> I think it's brilliant folklore. I think it traveled all around the world because, as people traveled all around the world, they took their myths and legends with them. But that being said, just in case it's real, I am gonna carry doggy treats in my pockets from now on, <laughs> and he will get sausages, yeah. and I'll pet him, and it'll be all good. Yeah. I think it had to be quite a big, fearsome black dog, because I just don't think the same effect would be achieved by a Bichon Freeze. No. <laughs> and with, on that note... Or with that chip. I know we got to wrap it up, but first up, i got to say, Neil, Kurt, I had to bring you guys back on, because for the amount of emails I get, and a lot of them are hate mails against me, because they don't like that twisted sense of humor us historians have, Neil. I get a lot of Brian's <laughs> obnoxious emails... Everyone loves Lauren, though. Lauren's never got a bad email. No, everybody loves Lauren. Yes. One of the emails we keep getting is Neil and Kurt have to come back on. We need more Neil and Kurt. So, we get requests for you guys all the time. We got to get you on more often. Don't stay away so long. And I'm going to plug some stuff right now. Everybody listen to the strange sessions the greatest podcast in the universe kurt's kurt's wonderful podcast with krista who's my podcast crush he oversells it it's it's an okay podcast it's not the best podcast best podcast it's okay (laughs) neil what do you got to promote uh i look forward on, on uk television coming up really soon is the new series of help my house is haunted uh, fantastic regular team and a, a special guest star uh, for a particular episode that you, you will all know and love. Yes, I, I'm in Ooh. one episode. But come and see the lovely Jane Harris and, uh, and, and the gang there uh, and Barry Guy and they've got a special guest star 
uh, spiritualist medium as well for the new series. So that's intriguing. I mean, okay. It's four weeks away, but it's only going to be on Discovery Plus with an air date on normal television later in the year. Well, I happen to have Discovery Plus, so... I have Discovery Plus, Discovery uh, Or you can even watch the last few episodes of, of, the, of I think it's an eight-part series called The Buildings That Fought Hitler, where one of the series historians has been me. Hooray! That I'm mustache really gets around. Or you can go further back in British television archives and watch Neil's Most Haunted episode. Ah... Uh... Long while ago. Good fun, though. Lovely. Wow, you were, on, you were on Most Haunted? Love it. I was. It was. I think it was the second series they ever made. Uh, wonderful team. Lovely. It was in the day, early days with Derek Cora. Yes. Uh, in my experience, I know later series, maybe they got Derek to do things. I, I don't know. I don't get involved with that. What I know is I met Derek my grandfather had just passed away and he described my grandfather to a T and you know we weren't on screen or anything we were doing a, a program about a museum where I was working at the time that was indeed haunted no TV no camera sat down in those days I used to smoke cigarettes Derek smoked here he was a Benson and Hedges man he'd have a, and we sat down we had a fact and he had a smoke can't say that in America uh, <laughs> We had a smoke together, uh, and and Derek described my granddad. That's so cool. And and it, the, there were details there. Did he read me? I don't think so. Why 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 would he have done that? And he reached out, and he could see I was very uh, emotional about what he did. And he put out his hand, and we we had a, a sort of man grip, hand to hand, and he looked and I honestly felt a connection beyond Derek but with my granddad now, part of me thinks yeah maybe that's what I really hoped because I was very close to my granddad he's like a dad to me and he was one of my heroes you know my granddad served throughout World War Two. he wasn't a decorated hero but he was my hero I didn't have a, a, a dad around he was everything to me Derek didn't know that and to just give me that moment of connection say things it was a very special thing and and I enjoyed the show with the the, the museum where I was working there'd never been a ghost hunt or anything there and the most notable thing about it was the Muckleburg collection was they said that you can and I'd heard it myself the footsteps in the hallway and they actually recorded them I know the sound of those footsteps in the hallway. We would be working there when the museum was closed to the public. We're putting displays together. And sometimes you'd hear these footsteps come up the hallway. It's a long corridor. And they would stop in front of the office. And there'd be no knock on the door. And sometimes I'd be on the floor laying out the new boards for the display. And I'd spring that door open to see if somebody was larking about outside. Or we'd actually say, come in, no knock on the door, come in. There was nobody there. And that team, and we were with them all the time. And there's a particular sound of the footsteps on the wooden floor. They recorded that sound. And it's not the sound that you could get from normally walking up there, because it's the floor before 
they put the, the carpet down that you'd hear. Most intriguing stuff. Hmm. That is. That. All right. See, now you're creeping me out. You're creeping the skeptic out. We're cutting this off now. We're all going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so watch Neil's show. Listen to Kurt's podcast. Lauren, you got anything to pitch? No. No, I don't either. Yes, you do. You got I, a book. I got a book, yeah, but we've talked about that enough on the show. So there's nothing paranormal about it. It's a very good the... book. I've been reading it every night, and it's amazingly good. Oh, thank you so much. Oh. Well, on that note, from Brian in Buffalo, New York, and Kurt all the way in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And Neil and Lauren. Neil, where are you at now? I am in Northumberland. And in with England. as always, Lauren. From Swansea. Good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Oh, Kurt. Oh, I always love Kurt.